Hey, I'm Pastor Mike, and thank you so much for taking time to check out this message. And I hope that it inspires you. I hope it pushes you either towards a relationship with Jesus or further along in your relationship with Jesus. But we would never want this message to replace the reality of what it means to be involved with a local church. Although I'm excited that you're checking this out and I, and I hope it speaks to you, let me encourage you that you need to be involved in a local body. There's something to the fact that you need to be under the authority of the spiritual lead of a pastor and involved in a community that can push you uh, further along. We are meant to be in community. So enjoy this message, but let me encourage you to be seeking an opportunity to be involved with a local church. Be a man. Be tough. Be sweet. No one likes a smarty pants. Don't be such a sissy. Handle it like a man. You should go on a diet. Play the field. Be sexy, but not too sexy. Show him who's boss. You're a princess. You make the money. Let him take care of you. Pick yourself up. Know your place. Keep your mouth shut. The world tells us who we're supposed to be, but it keeps changing its mind. Throughout time, throughout cultures, we can't decide what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman. The message, the plan, it keeps changing. But what if there was something else? What if there was something better? Something that existed since the beginning. Something untouched by time. Something true and perfect. Jonathan Marvin, they killed it last week. Come on, y'all give it up for them. They did a great, great job. It was exciting to see and, and uh, get an opportunity. I'll just tell you, some people ask me, did you get a chance to rest, Pastor Mike? Because um, this has been a long two and a half journey, like launching the church and the whole deal and all that. So last Friday, I got up, ate breakfast, and um, sent off my wife to the convention to go to breakout sessions and sent off my kids to go to their program, and I went back to sleep. And I slept for about two hours. I woke up, I drove out, found some lunch, brought lunch back. They met me at the hotel, fed them lunch. They took back off from the convention. I went back to sleep, slept for about three hours in the afternoon, and then I went to bed early that night. So it was amazing. So I was so grateful and uh, got the opportunity to do that and go away. Got to see uh, Chrisinda graduate, which was insane. Um, so um, at graduation, there were 350 graduates. So it only took four and a half hours. And we were in the third row, so we couldn't like get the whole family to get up. But anyway, it was great. But but I'm, I'm grateful to be back. I'm so excited to be back. And, and I have to tell you, I've been working on this particular series longer than any teaching or series I've ever worked on in the entire time I've been a pastor. Um, and I'm really excited and, uh, and, and, and kind of nervous, to be quite honest, uh, because of the depth of what I think of what it is and the effect that it has. But before I get into it, let me give you a couple quick announcements that I want to tell you. If you've got your Connect card, that's in there in your experience guide. There may be a couple of things you want to sign up here, so you might want to grab that real quick. Um, one of the things that we're working on right now is we are trying to make it really nice for our dream teamers. So, you know, right now while you're getting to enjoy service, we've got a whole bunch of people doing kids ministry, right? And they don't get to enjoy service today. What we'd like to do is we'd like to have it where when they get here to serve, everything's already set up for them. Instead of them coming early in the morning and having to set up the rooms and then serve and then break it down. So we are in the process of setting up some set up and takedown teams. So if you would be willing, and some of those teams may actually come on Saturday nights and set up everything. But if you'd be willing to at least consider being part of a set up or a takedown team, would you put that where it says sign up, put your name on it, make sure we've got some kind of a contact, cell phone, email, something. And then put set up or takedown next to that sign up if you'd be willing to do that. Uh, another thing that I'm excited about is that uh, summertime is here and upon us, uh, and man, is it hot. But anyway, um, it's time for family game nights. So we had a lot of fun last year. Yes, we will be bringing back slip and slide kickball uh, this year. We almost had a couple people die last year, but it made great video. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so family game nights are going to be in July. So every Sunday night out at Pear Park, we'll have a whole different event that we're doing. And I'm really excited because we have a brand 
new ministry intern on staff with us, which is Logan, who you got to hear teach last week. He's now on staff with us as a ministry intern. So he's going to be in charge of the game nights and be a part of that. So if it goes really bad, it's Logan's fault. If it goes great, it's my idea. Um, just kidding, Logan, wherever you are. Oh, he's out there. He didn't even hear that. Um, but but uh, we're really excited about game nights. So if you want to come and get signed up. But another thing we'd like to do for July... Um, and this is a new idea. Uh, I've got to give credit to Mr. Rod for giving us the idea. I thought it was a great idea. We'd like to create in July and maybe the first couple of weeks of August what we're going to call dinner circles. Okay? And so here, all, here it is. We just need some people that say, I'll be a host. Like, we'll let it be at our house. We'll set it up for, say, maybe 12 at the most. 10 to 12, maybe. And let people sign up, and it's one dinner at your house. But the whole point is, is to get a whole bunch of people that don't already know each other and just have dinner together. So that we do some relationships. So would you consider helping us create some dinner circles? And so if you'd be willing to host one, if you're like, maybe I would. If you put your name down, it's not signing in blood. But if you would consider, we'd love to have some houses that we could put out and say, here's a house that's going to happen on this particular day in July, this particular night. So would you kind of consider being a dinner circle? Uh, I think it'll be a great way for you to meet some people that are outside of your normal circles that don't sit in your particular row. Uh, maybe it'll even change where you sit. Like we were making a joke yesterday, some people talking about they sit in one row, that's their row. Uh, which I'm like, I'm glad you told me that because I'm going to invite some new people, get them there early and sit them in your seats and make you move. No. But it is good for us to get out of our comfort zone. So if you'd be interested in doing that um, and, and, and hosting, would you put that down there? Put, I'll host the dinner circle. That would be absolutely very, very cool. And, um, but anyway, I want to jump into this. And, and we're going to talk about something that I think is probably, if not the most, one of at least the top three biggest issues for our culture. And that is the concept of gender. That is the concept of manhood and womanhood. And as soon as I said that word, somebody just tensed up. Right? Especially, it's funny because I, I changed the verbiage. I changed the word of what I was going to call this series. Originally, I was going to call this series Gender Matters. And every time I said it to anyone 35 or below, they went, ooh. And I thought, well, maybe that's a little hostile, at least up front. You know what I mean? So we made it a beautiful design. So this is a little bit nicer. But I really want to get into this and talk about it. And, and I know right now there's already like, where are we going and what's the deal and all this kind of stuff. So let me lighten the mood a little bit, tell you a little bit about Boudreaux and his wife. Um, Boudreaux and Marie. Marie is, is Boudreaux's wife. For those of you who don't know, some of my family's from Louisiana. And um, we like to tell Boudreaux stories. So, oh, Boudreaux is not the smartest boy on the planet. But he married Marie. He's probably the smartest thing he ever did. Anyway, they start having marriage problems. So they decide to go to marriage counseling. So Boudreaux and Marie go to the marriage counselor, sit down, and the, and the marriage counselor says, okay, what the problem will be? Marie just goes off, right? Come on, ladies, you know. I've counseled some of y'all in here, and as soon as I say, what's up, the lady's like, whoa, right? And she does that. She's like, unmet expectations and lack of intimacy. And, and I mean, it's just ripping Boudreaux. Boudreaux just sitting there, like, taking it, right? Finally, she goes off for probably 15 minutes, just, ah, oh, this and that, he didn't do that, and he didn't show up, and he's late for work, and he didn't call me, and he's like, ah. Finally, the counselor doesn't say a word. He just gets up off his seat, walks over, takes Marie's hand, stands her up, bends her back, and gives her this passionate kiss. I mean, lays it on her. Right? Boudreaux's sitting there, his eyes are just big around, like, what the heck is going on? He tells her back up. Sits her back down very gently, looks at Boudreaux and says, Boudreaux, listen to me, son. That's what she needs three times a week. Do you think you can do that? Boudreaux thought about it and he said, well, I go fishing on Fridays, but Monday and Wednesdays I can drop her off. but the struggle in what is a man and what is a woman and, and what does that mean? Be a man. What does that mean? Right? Be a woman. I mean, like, I'm raising three daughters right now. 
And I want my daughters to be monsters. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about like ugly, mean monsters. I'm talking about I want them to be intellectual giants that are going to make a man one day a better man because of who they are. You know what I'm saying? Like my wife, Jennifer, you guys, you have no idea. Y'all should thank Jennifer Matheny. If you ever get anything out of what I teach or say. Because she has done more to make me the man I am than anybody on this planet. Because she's a beast. You know what I'm saying? And I mean that in a, in a great way. But what does it mean? What does it mean for me to raise up these young ladies? And to raise a godly woman and yet who is strong and yet we get this word called submission that we read in the church and we talk about what? And there's this battle. Would you not agree, ladies? There's a struggle. Yeah? There's, there's a wrestle there. Like, what is what does that look like? And so we're going to take, listen to me, we're going to take the next eight weeks and study what is a man and what is a woman from a biblical perspective. And so I'm challenging you to be here through the summer. And I'm challenging you to invite someone to come and just listen. I, 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 this is an article from the New Yorker um, that, that just not that long ago. Let me read from this article. It says this. The report gives an overall impression that just like femininity, masculinity is increasingly defined by both playing to and against type. Let me explain with the rest of it. It's growing in a really impressive beard while ordering a kale salad for lunch. It's knowing Super Bowl trivia and being an emotionally supportive partner. But if that makes it sound like men are joining women in having a less gender-bound view of the sense of self, it's just not that simple. According to research, even though millennial men, are more than older men, are okay with concealer and learning to poach eggs, they also say they're more frustrated with not knowing what it means to be a man. Randy Thomas states, we've lost our history of what it means to be a man and our history of what it means to be a woman, and activists have worked to obliterate that history because they feel it's sexist. So if a man, this is the New Yorker, this is not a Christian, right? So if a man doesn't know how to teach a little boy how to be a man, there's a void there. What is a man? What is a woman? I believe the biggest issue of our current culture. I don't know if you know this, but there are some 58, 60 different ways that you can identify yourself on Facebook. Did you know that? Let me show you. These are all options of how you can identify yourself on Facebook. Right? Androgynous. I don't even know what cis is. Gender fluid, gender non-conforming, gender questioning, gender variant, intersex, male to female, transgender, trans, two-spirit. I found that one kind of interesting. But there are all these different ways for us to identify. And that is significant for our culture. Because always in recorded history it's been male and female. This is new. This is a new issue. There's always been a pretty solid across the board, right? And so we're going to take the next several weeks and we're going to define from the Bible, not from Mike's opinion or anyone else's. What manhood looks like and what womanhood looks like. Now, let me stop here at this moment and say something that's really, really important for me to say. Why are we going to talk about this in church? Is it because we need to take the moral high ground and fix everyone else? Well, that's what we do most of the time in the church if we're honest. Right? We know better, but we're going to fix everyone else. Would you look at your neighbor right now and say, you messed up just like you are? Go ahead. Right? We're not here to fix anybody. Right? That's not. Listen to me. If the church must be anything, the, the church must be safe. So before, listen to me, when I start teaching and talking about things, before you start amening or yeah, maybe be sensitive of who's sitting around you. Because while you may not have the same struggles, I promise you somebody here does. Or they're affected by somebody who does. So our goal is not division as we study this. Our goal is understanding and love with the ability to present truth. Does that make sense? 
Understand? So please be careful about your responses today. If the church is not a safe place for those who have some kind of gender confusion or are sexually broken, then we don't understand our own message. I challenged the prayer team this week. I had the prayer team start praying over this message a while back, but I really this week asked them to start to really get ready. And I said, let me ask you guys a question. If Sunday morning it came time for the meet and greet, and there was somebody who was obese, and they were sitting at the end of your row, would you feel uncomfortable greeting them during the greeting? No? You know, of course not. Right? Like, majority of America is obese. Right? But let me ask you. If there was a transgender sitting at your end of the row, can you say you would feel the exact same way? And we quickly say yes, but I'd like to put you to the test on it. Because we know there's something inside of us. And here's what we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't make some sins okay and some sins worse. Right? If the church is anything, the church has to be a safe place. The church has to be a place where you can come. We got little invite cards we give out and they say, it's okay to not be okay. Let me ask you, Church of the Lakes, is it? Because only you can make it that way. Right? Only, only we can decide, you know what? I may not agree with them or we not be made in the same place. But my job is to love. And so before we go any further, I just need to set that precedent and ask you, please be careful about your responses. Right? Be, please be careful about the way that you might approach some of the things that we might talk about here. But I need to say to you, this is important because there's a guy named Paul McHugh, who is, I'm going to read his crazy title, is the University Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry, he's going to come out, at John Hopkins University. Now, some of you guys know, but my degree is in biochemistry. I wanted to go to med school, and my, my ultimate was to go to John Hopkins Medical School because it was the top medical school back then when I was trying to get in. And so, to me, to hear somebody from John Hopkins, I'm like, sit down. Yes, what do you have to say? Talk to me, right? This guy's distinguished. But years ago, they had started working with those that had a gender orientation or struggle or some sort of thing, and they started doing sex changes at John Hopkins. This is way back in the 70s. Now, they have the ability to study those that some 40, 30, 40 years ago have had this type, and here's some of the findings, and these are just, this is research stuff. 90% of those that got surgery back then, men becoming women, are now women, but they're attracted to women, so they live life as lesbians. Listen to me. Their research shows 80% of young people who have some struggle with their gender orientation outgrow it. 80%. Unless they're pushed to that scenario or told that's who they are. So I'm going to approach a crazy topic. I know. And I'm thoroughly expecting emails. I'm thoroughly expecting maybe in a couple weeks we've got some activists out front, you know. Listen, whatever, whatever. But we need to address this. We need to address this issue. We as the church need to decide we're not going to shy away from the reality of what this is. And the struggle and the issue is none of us. This is you too. Be careful about saying yeah real quick because I'm talking about you. We're deceived. We're deceived. See, the whole idea of us being in sinful nature, right? That we're born in sinful nature, in a sinful place. What is it? It's that we're deceived. We, we, we actually don't see and know truth outside of God revealing truth to us. Are you tracking with me? Right? There's this amazing scene that happens. It's, it's right before Jesus' death. Jesus goes in and he stands before one of the officials of the time. And this guy's name was Pontius Pilate. And here's the interaction. Pilate looks at him, and this is in John 18, 37. You are king, you are, you are a, a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered this. You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. 
Let's seek it. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus says, this world has become so deceived, so outside of what is really real and what is true and right, that I have to come to the world, not only to die for the world, but to testify to the truth. We all are in this process of searching for truth, searching for what is real. And in 1 Peter 2 and 11, we're warned this way, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Anybody have any worldly desires that wage war against your soul? You don't have to raise your hand. I know it's all of you. Right? We all are in this battle. We're all in this struggle of, of battling with this world, of these worldly desires, and they're all different in different ways. It says, be careful to live Properly, Love that word. Maybe underline it. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. That even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. I'm not going to talk a lot more today about specifically manhood and, and womanhood. We're going to get into that. We're going to spend the next three weeks, including Father's Day. Don't get to, forget to sign up for the throwdown. Don't play cornhole with us. And in July, we're going to talk about womanhood. And I had this picture, like how amazing it must be to be a woman sitting in our congregation listening to me tell you how to be a woman. I thought, that's going to be kind of fun. So my wife's going to join me, at least on the first week. And, and, and talk also from a standpoint of a woman on the first of July. But it is critical for us to understand. We are living in a world where deception is the game, Right? Where we're deceived, that's the issue. That's the reason that we sin and we struggle, because we're deceived in a certain way. So the battle is deception. The battle is what we believe and don't believe. And, and the reality is, in culture, words win the war. Whoever owns the words is, wins the war. Right? That's why the media is so strong. That's why we talk so much about the kind of music you listen to and all those things. Because words and the way we say things is so critical. It changes constantly because there's a battle that is going on. So if you and I, who are deceived, who are fallen, who are struggling ourselves with our own worldly desires, if we're going to seek truth, we've got to find somewhere solid to do that. How solid are your feelings? You ever had a feeling and then you were wrong? Your feelings are not a solid place. Right? Feelings are not some place that we can go. And yet, how often do we say, well, I know it says that, but I just feel like, or I just think that. And so in our belief system, as followers of Jesus, we've only got one place that we can go back. That is the solid place to find what is truth, and that is the Word of God. So we're going to do our best for the next few weeks and even today to go back to the Word. What does the Word say? And I'm going to challenge you to study for yourself. I want to challenge you not to just take what I have to say, but to go home and read it for yourself. Because Psalm 119 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why do we need a lamp and a light? Because it's dark. Why is it dark? Because we're deceived. Right? That's the dark. I need something to show me truth. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Anybody want to have some righteousness in your life? Man, I would like some righteousness in my life. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But look at the opposite here, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart, on the other hand, is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? But I feel this man. You don't understand, Pastor Mike, I love him. Right? And in my head, I'm like, oh, you're so cute and so dumb right now. Would you walk away from that wiener head? Right? The heart, the heart is deceitful. Like we can't just bank on that. Listen to Proverbs 28, 26. This one is, is a little kind of subtle in its opinion. 
Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Let me say it to you this way. Any basketball fans here? Raptor fans, Golden State fans, y'all watching the game tonight? Anybody even care? Okay, nobody even cares here. Uh, I'm kind of a Golden State fan. I'm rooting for Golden State. Um, and uh, they lost the first one stuck. But listen to this. Here's basketball. You ready? Basketball court is 97 foot long. A court is 97 foot long. The free throw line is 15 feet away from the backboard. The net is 10 feet above the court and it's 18 inches on diameter. Okay? That, maintaining those, is what makes the game the game. Right? The reason that you've got the Olympic Dream Team and the NBA Finals and, and March Madness and all these kind of things is because that has some set boundaries and some rules to the game. Now, I don't know about you guys. Anybody ever played with an adjustable goal? Yeah, man, us short people love adjustable goals. Come on now. Put that thing down at eight foot and look like Michael Jordan. But is it the same? It's not the same. See, listen, you can't lower the standards and say the game is the same. And so what we have to do is we have to decide not to lower the standards and then high-five ourselves because we can slam dunk. We have to figure out what it is that are God's standards and submit and succumb to His standards. Does that make sense? Right? We, we've got to do it the way that, that God says to do it. So let's go back to the beginning. I just want to set some framework today as we begin this study. All the way back to the beginning. Beginning of your Bible. Genesis 1.1, it says this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. I want to stop right there. Because I need you to catch something. That means God was before the beginning. Beginning of what? Beginning of time. I dare you to make any kind of a sentence or form a sentence that doesn't refer to time. Like even saying this sentence, I'm going to say, you know what? Before that was God. Before is a time word. Our entire world is wrapped up in time. Everything we do is scheduled. It's about time. What time you get there and what time you don't get there. Like, Ayana's doing this crazy explorer thing this week where she goes to boot camp and they scream at her and do the whole drill sergeant thing and she'll be doing that all week this week. But we're trying to figure out what time we're supposed to meet them and how, what time the band's coming and the time, 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 right? There was a time before time. There was a time before time. And before time was just God. And you go, that don't make any sense to me. Yeah, because you've only lived in time. Like when people say, yeah, well, how did God get created? I don't know. I've only lived in time. And so are you. But I, I just can't grab a hold of that. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Of course it doesn't, because all you know is time. Right? And so everything inside of us is wrapped around this idea of time. But there was something before, I hate using the word because I'm referring to time. There was something, even my emotions are time related, that was just God. And the reason that is so critical is because that puts him above, before, and over all things. It also deals with the argument but times have changed. Because the things of God have nothing to do with time. The truths of God are timeless. And they are cultureless. They are just the reality of who He is and the way He has designed things to go. So I want to give you three ideas today that I'm going to use uh, to get us started in this series. And I, and I want to pick them from, from this particular sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Number one, what does this sentence tell us? Number one, it tells us origin. 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 What are we? What are we? I know some of you looked in the Mount Mary this morning and thought, what is that? What are we? What, what, what exactly are we? Genesis 1 and 27, listen to this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. How did God create them? 
male and female. Two distinct types, right, that he created. The world answers the question of origin with theology. Okay, that's the theology word. So for those of you who are getting close to going to college, they're going to try to hit you up in this particular area. Theology. How do we do this? The cosmos, Carl Sagan, we're all one with the universe. There's going to be all these different ideas and thoughts of origin. But if we go back to God's word, what do we learn here? We are created. You and I were created by a creator. Why? We didn't used to be something else, and now we're this. Right? No, that's, that's not what he said. He created us as, as people, right? And the reason that this is so critical is because I need you to hear this point. And this point stings a little bit for all of us. Because you are created, you are not the measure of anything. Let me say it to you differently. You're not the point. Right? We, we like to be the point. Anybody like to be the point? I like to be the point. I like to walk into my house and be the point. I want to walk in my house and have my wife smiling, right? Maybe she's just freshening up her makeup a little bit. Dinner's cooking. Kids are all done with their schoolwork. Hello, Father. How was your day? Anybody else want to be the point? Right? Jennifer wants to be the point also. She wants me to walk through the door and go, Oh, honey, let me throw this down and help you cook. And let me take the garbage out. Let me do this for you. Let me, right? Oh, I'll chop up the onions for you. Oh, I got the kids. Don't worry about it. Right? Because Jennifer wants to be the point too. That's part of our struggle. That's part of the deception. That's part of the sinful nature inside of us that we want to be the point. But if we are created by a creator... We're not the point. We're not the, the measure of anything. And you and I, as created beings, listen to me, I know this rubs you the wrong way, but we struggle with this. Listen to this verse out of James 4, 1 through 3. It's not in your notes. I just threw it in this morning. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. Boy, does that describe our days. Come on, somebody, be real for a minute. I want what I want. I want to be what, the measure of everything. I want to be, that's the original sin. That Satan, that, that, that Satan looks at Eve and goes, that God didn't know what he's talking about. Eat the apple, you'll be like God. You'll be the measure of everything. You'll be the point. Right? Isn't that the deception? Isn't that the sin that's inside of us? But listen to me. If we're not the point and we were created, we don't get to make the rules. We don't get to change the rules. We don't even have authority to complain about the rules. Wow. We're created. Well, that stings, doesn't it? That goes, that goes right to your flesh, doesn't it? Something inside of you going, bull crap. Because that, that flesh inside, but, but we've got to deal with this sentence and the reality of this sentence. My origin is I am a created being by a creator who was there before all time and all things. Critical. We'll come back to that. Number two. What do I get out of this sentence? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Number two is I get purpose. 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 Why are we here? <laughs> Why are we on this crazy blue blob? And Psalm 139, God's word says this. Your eyes saw my unformed body. In other words, before you were even formed. All the days ordained for me were written down in your book before one of them came to me. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. So, not only am I created, and I'm not the point. And I, I don't make the rules, I don't change the rules, I don't get to complain about the rules. Not only that, but there's already a plan for my life. There, there's, there's already some way that God has designed my life to go. 
some way that he wants me to live and act and be. How does the world answer this question of purpose? Philosophy. Right? Lots of different philosophy out there. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this particular one in, in, in a lot of detail in weeks to come. But let me just quickly do this under the idea of purpose. Because you have a creator. That creator has created us with a purpose in mind. So if you feel lost at all in purpose, just know this sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth means... That you were created with a purpose. Here's what I also want to kind of take out and extract from this text is you can kind of take out your magic marker and we can start knocking off some worldly philosophies. Let me knock off a few of them for you. Here's some isms that you're going to run into teenagers when you get to college and they're going to try to shove it down your throat. Dualism. Dualism. Dualism cannot be true if this sentence is true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. It can't be true. What's dualism? Think Star Wars. There's good and evil, and they're just about equal in power. And you got Luke and Darth Vader, you know, Skywalker and Darth Vader going at it, and Luke almost loses, and then he goes back. <laughs> That's dualism, that we have this picture of good and evil being almost equal, right? But did you not read that God existed before all things? God is bigger than and more powerful than, huger than anything else, because everything else is created. Let's say it this way, this is how I used to teach it in children's church. God is God, and Satan is Satan. Right? God and Satan. That's the way this is. Dualism is not, they're not equal. They're, 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 not, they're not on the same playing field. Right? They're, they're not even, that's dualism. Materialism is, is the idea that all that exists is one. We're all material, we're all one with, right? Materialism and all this. Polytheism, you got to rule out polytheism. That means many gods. Why? Because it said in the beginning, gods. No, I said in the beginning, God, right? That one sentence rules out the idea that our multiple gods, there is just the one God. Hedonism, that's a pleasure, right? Do whatever I want. What? No, 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 no. Because if there's a God who created all things and he's got a purpose and a desire and he knows the days beforehand, I can't just do whatever I want. I can't just do whatever I feel. It's got to be within his existentialism. That's a big one. This is the idea that man wills and determines his own reality. Which just cannot be the reality, because if your opinion is not that that was of the Creator, then it's not going to happen, right? Pantheism is ruled out, because we see God isn't in everything and all everything. So this is God's all-encompassing thing, Avatar. Remember the scene in Avatar where the hair grows with the with the grass and becomes one, one with nature, all that silly stuff. Can't be true. Why? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see that? See, origin and purpose. I bet you didn't know this, but you know who was a huge pantheist, the whole nature thing? Mikhail Gorbachev. Now, if you are 32 or younger, that was our Putin. You know Putin in Russia, right? So Mikhail Gorbachev was our food, but he was huge, huge. He, he said this, I believe in the cosmos. All of us are linked to the cosmos. So nature is my God. To me, nature is sacred. Trees are my temple. Forests are my cathedrals. Be one with nature. This big old thing on his head. Origin, purpose, number three, design. Origin, purpose, design. What is the best way to live? In other words, if my days are written down, if there's already a way that things are supposed to work, what does that look like? Right? What, what does happen in that? Genesis 1 and 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over creeping things. 
that creep on the earth. We are to have dominion over this earth. We are to rule and reign justly as God leads us to do that. You have a design, you have a purpose. There's a reason you're here. There's a reason you're in Leesburg. There's a reason you're in Lake County. There's a reason that God has brought you to this place. How does, how does this world answer this, this idea? And that's with science, right? We're going we're gonna to figure it out in a beaker. We're going to figure out how to, how to take care of these things. But I want that to, to read this, this thing. C.S. Lewis was an amazing writer. And there's a book called Mere Christianity that I would suggest if you haven't read it, you read it. If you read, if you read it, um, read it again. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity talked about the machine or how things work. And what he was talking about is morality. He was, he was talking about how do I live. But I think you can apply it to the, re, uh, the reality of life. Let me, let me just quote uh, on him. There's a story about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. And he replied that as far as he could make out, God was the sort of person who always snooped around to see if anything, if anyone is enjoying themselves and then tried to stop it. Come on. You might have felt that way about God, if you're honest. God's kind of like watching. Like, you know, we're thinking, you know, that's why that's why people will say something off-color and they go, oh, I shouldn't have said that at church. Why at church? Because God's there, but maybe he's not where I said it Friday night. Right? There's this idea of, of God snooping around and getting us in trouble uh, is it, 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 sort of insanity. Because what we have to hear is you have a God who has designed and has this amazing idea. Right? He, he has this, when he formed you, he's got this, I've got a purpose for you and a plan for you. How frustrating, think this through, how frustrating is it to be God? It's like parenting. Because you've got some thoughts and some ideas, like this, 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 that's where I'm trying to get them to go. And they're going that way. Right? It's the, same, it's the same battle. It's the same battle that you have with your kids as you're trying to help develop your kids. It's the same battle that God has with us. We're rebellious. We want it our own way. We want to be the point we forgot we were created. We're forgot, we forgot that there's an origin to us. We forgot that there's a, a purpose, days that are already... And we forgot in there that there's a design. There's a design. I don't know if you've ever seen, some of you guys might be in some kind of a manufacturing type of a job in, in what you've done in your life. But usually in manufacturing, when they're building some new machines, they'll test, right? They'll test this. And they go, no, that's a little off. Tweak it this way. No, that's a little off. Tweak it this way. Because they want to get it to where the machine works perfectly, right? In the manufacturing. And God has a perfect way that you and I work. And when we get just a little bit off or unaligned, we're like a bad alignment on your car. Come on, you ever waited too long when your tires and you're driving like this? You know what I'm talking about? What is that? That's an alignment issue, right? We've waited so long and just slowly we've gotten unaligned with who God is and what God is to the point now where there's a problem, now we have a blowout. Maybe now we have an accident. And it's the same thing with us. Why do I go through all that? Because you're going, I thought we were going to talk about manhood and womanhood. What happened? You went off the trail, Pastor Mike. I didn't. I didn't go off of it at all. Because the Bible says there is a way that leads to life. And there is a way that leads to death. And you and I, it's up to us to read that and see that truth. And then make a determination of which way we're going to go. We have to make up our mind. Right? Psalm 16 and 11. You make known the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And your right hand are pleasures forever. See, there's a difference between existing and living. The difference between existing and living. You can exist on this planet and make a lot of money. You can exist on this planet and have fun and live hedonistically and pleasure yourself in whatever way makes you feel good. You can exist or you can live. And true life, which is actually defined by the verse that we pick to be the verse that we launched this church on. 
John 10, 10. See, the thief, the, the, the enemy of your soul, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How does he do that? He deceives us. He wants to steal truth away from us. He wants to kill our dreams. He wants to destroy our hope and our future and the design that God has for us. While God himself, it says, but I have come. Why did Jesus come to testify to the truth? I have come that you might have life and life to the full. What does that life look like? Well, he's already designed it. So freedom is not the ability to do whatever I want. Freedom is the ability to become whom I'm supposed to be. Because I'm a created being with a design and a purpose. To find truth, to find real life, is me aligning my life, my manhood, my womanhood, with what God says is important. What God says is the way that we're supposed to do that. So I needed to establish something today. It is the foundation of us talking about manhood, womanhood, gender, and all those sort of things. And here's the question, ready? Is Jesus Lord? I didn't ask if he was Savior. I asked if he was Lord. We love the Savior part, right? The Savior part means I don't have to go to that place, I get to go to a good place. That's Savior. Lord means He's in charge. It means He created me. It means my life is submitted to Him as the Creator and the Designer and the purpose of all things. Is He Lord? Even if I run into stuff that seems kind of crazy, will I submit because that's what he said? That's what the Lord means. I don't know if you notice, but when you read through the New Testament, Jesus asked people to come and follow him. He didn't hand out get out of hell free tickets. Wasn't about the Savior thing. That was sort of a byproduct, honestly. The point was make me Lord. Why? Not because he's a killjoy and he wants to take away fun. Not because he wants you to deny your feelings. Although maybe he does want you to deny your feelings in some areas. Right? Come on, guys. There's some feelings. Like when you see that hot little secretary, maybe you should deny that feeling. Right? But then he wants us to walk the life that he designed for us to live. And it's the best. Are you trading a lesser story for a... For, 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 for what could have been his, your story. What, 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 are you trading away with that because we don't get... So it's important for us to say, is he Lord? And, and i got to ask you that today. Is he Lord? Will you follow him? Will you make him master? And as we go through this process, in this particular area, and we're going to talk about manhood, we're going to talk about womanhood, but it could be anywhere. Will you make him Lord when it comes to finances? Will you, will you make him Lord when it comes to your workplace? Will you make him look? Is Jesus Lord? Because before I can go any further in us studying gender, we got to settle that. Gender roles, so-called battle of the sexes. It's got to start with, is he Lord? Because if he's Lord, now we're going to look at his word. And no matter what it says, I'm a creative being. It doesn't get to change the rules or argue with them. But if I will align myself and submit to them, then I will live out the Creator's best for my life. That's my desire for you. That you live the best. Not this sorry version that this world has created for you, but the best. So men, I'm going to push you over the next few weeks. I'm going to push you a little bit. And you might come up some stuff where you go, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And I'm going to ask you what I asked you today is Jesus Lord. And women, we may come to a place where we study some things. And you go, I don't, I don't like that at all. Nobody, nobody likes the word submission. Right? And I'm going to come back to today and say, let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Lord? Because this is not Mike telling you to do something. This is another created being. 
just trying to help us all find some truth and submit our lives to his truth. Does that make sense? But I got to give you that challenge today. Is he Lord? Would you close your eyes for a second? Would you consider that question? Is he Lord? Is he Lord of all? But I really surrendered all to him. Do I live my life the way he says to live my life, regardless of how I feel or what I want? So let's, let's repent a little bit today. Can we do that? Those of you who need to surrender your heart maybe for the very first time. Maybe you prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior, but you never thought about making Him Lord, and that's really what He desires. That's the relationship He wants. So Father, I pray over everyone here today. This stings a little bit, God, because we like being the point, man. <laughs> I like being the point. Today is a day of surrender and submission and understanding we are your created beings designed purposefully to fulfill what you have called us to do. So we repent, God, from going our own way. We repent for choosing our own ideas. We repent from choosing feelings over your truth. Would you forgive us today of those? We take time to re-surrender our hearts today to you. Whatever it is we lay at your feet today, our manhood, our womanhood, our finances, our marriage, kids, work, relationships that are broken, we lay at your feet today and say, God, I surrender again today. You are Lord. Be Lord of my life. Give me truth and then give me courage to live the truth, even if my body doesn't feel it today those that need to make a decision today, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to give you words. You put the heart to it. Be something like this. Jesus, today, I make you Lord of my life. I know I've been holding back. I've been holding on to little pieces and parts here and there. No, I want this or I want that. But today, I release it all. You are Lord of my life. I surrender it all to you today. Come into my life and make me who you have created me to be to walk in the design and purpose that you have for my life. Thank you for loving me and for giving me of my sins. I pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,